stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! It's the hottest thing since McDonald's Szechuan sauce. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. You are the world champion! Welcome to episode number 107 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. Um, it is your it is your friendly neighborhood, RJ O'Connell. That doesn't sound right. Where's where's Andre? Well, Andre is not here because his power is out, which sucks. It genuinely sucks. It's a combination of work and um, utility maintenance stuff we are recording this on tuesday october 10 10 10 2017 um joining us as always is mr ryan eric king the iron man from beautiful new york city ryan how are you doing today i i'm i'm excited i'm excited for the new york knicks new partnership with squarespace we have a new fancy logo on our jersey didn't think we'd get one but we got one and it's from squarespace our team's valued at like three billion dollars but we got squarespace <laughs> um are you sure you have uh added in a couple extra zeros here because i think three billion sounds a little bit too high on the value of the new york knicks nope nope most valuable team in the nba I know it was a surprise to me too. Apparently, location is a very valuable thing. Hmm. So that is the only thing teams know. Competitiveness, we are like worthless. That explains why the Jets are so viable. And joining us from Glasgow, Scotland, Miss Zoe Hamilton. So- and I totally had to, didn't have anything to raise that situation this week either. No, Zoe did not. Zoe did not cut Trey's power. Um, Dre will be back next week, we hope. Um, so let us get the usual housekeeping out of the way. Thank you for listening to us on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud.com. We are on YouTube.com slash Motorsport 101. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Motorsport 101. We are on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to support the show financially, you can back us on patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101, where among your cool perks is that you get early access to both this show and bike live on motorsport 101. If you'd like to follow us, our personal accounts, we are at Harrison 101 HD for Dre, at Ryan Eric King with two Ks, at RJ O'Connell, and at We Zoe. Um, we have a packed we have a packed show tonight. Uh Jap the Japanese Grand Prix happened. Um it sure did happen. Um, I went to an endurance race and managed to get sunburned, despite most of it being under cloud cover. That's how pale I am. <laughs> silly season happened. Um, silly season happened extensively. Uh, the U.S. has a new F1 TV deal. Oh, boy. And also, we've got other stuff that happened as well. So let's dive right into it and talk about the Japanese Grand Prix. It 
It is the, I believe it's the 30th consecutive year, the 31st consecutive year that we have had the Formula One Japanese Grand Prix since it was reintroduced to the calendar in 87. And all we could talk about was how exciting this championship battle was going to be to see Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel starting on the front row, title rivals at a place where so many great championship battles have been decided over Formula One's history. Oh, literally supposed to be a clash of the titans, and we got mad. Um, so can I make a confession and say that I've only watched the uh, the YouTube highlights of this race? Did I? Yeah, I pretty much I pretty much only watched the first five laps, and I was like, I'm out. Um, let us uh, let's just take you through what happened in these uh, in these first five laps of the race. Um, Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel start on pole position. Lewis Hamilton gets a pretty good jump. So does Sebastian Vettel. Mats Verstappen gets around his teammate Daniel Ricciardo and slots into third place. Everything's looking good for Sebastian Vettel so long as he can hold on and perhaps make a challenge for Lewis Hamilton's position. But in the early laps, it's apparent that something is very wrong with Sebastian Vettel's car. Very, very wrong. His, uh, his engine started to go to shit within, like, minutes of this race starting. Yeah. In the words of Daniel Burrell, who was playing Nicky Lauda at the time, it was a shitbox. All these resources and you build a piece of crap like this. And... This is the second time we've called back to that line, and it still never gets old, because Daniel Burrell <laughs> was the best, the absolute best at this. Yes. Um, so we've now seen an eight-point championship lead, I believe it was, for Sebastian Vettel um, disappear into a 59-point deficit. How? How? How did this happen? Zoe, uh, how in the world? How in the world did this all go so wrong for Sebastian Vettel? Because... The Ferrari is a shitbox. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, last race, it was Kimmy's car. This race, it was Sebastian's. It's like, it was, it's, it's when you consider how strong they were at the start of the season. And it's like, did you just stop developing? Did you actually have a ticking time bomb that you never noticed until, like, five seconds ago? In your designs? It's just... Golly. Okay. Like, from our friends at Autosport, although Sergio Marchionne has expressed frustration over, like, what had happened was, I think it was a mismounting of a spark plug inside the internal combustion engine, which failed and obviously ground the car to the, a halt. The spark plug in question costs. 59 euros <laughs> that's how much that smart plug cost like to replace like if they had the time to replace it they 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 could certainly afford to replace it but Sergio Marchioni says that the team basically forgot to like they ignored quality control that oh. 
quote, it was a it was a technical nonsense that had an impact on the car that cost millions of euros. It's a problem we've we've probably ignored over time because it was never of such importance. But now we have had at least three occasions where we've really seen the devastating impact on performance. We'll fix it. There, this so it is... really was a stacking time bomb. <laughs> Golly. Oh, my goodness. And isn't this the same kind of spark plugs that Mercedes bet use in their cars as well? Same brand, uh, NGK? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, it's not the same spark plug. Uh, before the race, Mercedes has actually uh, replaced their spark plugs with, yeah, you know, a new fresh batch. Do you see what happens when you don't do routine maintenance on their car? This is what happens. You can turn an eight-point championship lead into a 59-point deficit. Um, what is that stat about Lewis Hamilton's qualifying time, his race time, and the points deficit that he now has to uh, Sebastian Vettel? Ooh, I'm not particularly sure. I did not actually see, hear about the statistic. Now I'm intrigued. Okay, that's why that's why we have the magic of the internet here at our fingertips. Um, yeah, this there wasn't much to say about this race. Lewis Hamilton pretty much just booked it as soon as he got any sort of clear space. Although there was some uh, there was some very uh, intriguing happenings going on when Mats Verstappen found a way to get back into this one very very late. Um, he may have had a chance to take the lead, but some old, some olds just got in the way. Some old people just wouldn't get off of these youths long. <laughs> As Fernando Alonso and at some points Felipe Massa kind of just kind of held both of them up. Didn't, didn't I, 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 just to paraphrase, I don't want to say it's a quote, but I, I swore I saw a quote from Fernando Alonso that said every time that he sees the blue flags, he knows it's a chance to make a statement. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah, that that's, uh, that's, pretty, much, that's pretty much what I would go as well. <laughs> I mean, heck, I, you're not going to get on TV that way. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to get on TV if you don't just do something completely ridiculous. Yeah, like it's it's almost like the the manner strategy to getting TV time. Oh golly. Rip manner. Oh my goodness. Um yeah, this was kind of a nothing race. I'll admit I was more focused on uh I was kind of more focused on Petit Lama and just trying to get some sleep, but it was it was a really good result for Lewis Hamilton. Um, and also another really good result for Mats Verstappen um, and the Red Bull team. This is the first time they got both cars on the podium since 2013, if you want to put that into perspective of Lewis Hamilton and Daniel Ricciardo finishing second and third. It's been a while since they've been this good at the end of the season. It seems like they found something in the car late in the year that's just kind of clicking, and I think they might have already overhauled Ferrari at this point. King, does that sound unreasonable to say that? Uh, I would say based like based on Ferrari's recent performances at the tracks that are left to go, it's it's not insane to say that Red Bull might be able to bounce back and 
try to outscore them? I found it now. Um, so Lewis Hamilton took pole position with a record lap of one minute, 27 seconds, one minute, 27.31 seconds. He then went on the rate when the race with a time of one hour, 27 minutes and 31 seconds. And if you take one plus 27 plus 31, you get 59 points, which is how much he leads the championship over Sebastian Vettel. Now that's okay. Numbervong. Yes. And it should be noted, the gap between second and third in the Constructors' Championship, as it stands, is 92 points. Y'all. Yeah, it's looking like Mercedes are going to wrap up these titles here pretty soon. In fact, uh, at the next round at Circuit of the Americas in the United States, Lewis Hamilton's home Grand Prix, mind you. Um, <laughs> it's, it's true. He is our most American driver. Um, Lewis Hamilton can actually clinch this championship, I believe, if he wins and Vettel doesn't score any more points. If he does, as long as Vettel's finishes below fifth, I think it is. Ooh. It's either fifth and below or or below fifth. Yeah, because Lewis after wins. the race, there is, what, 75 points left to play for? So, pretty much, if the gap is more than 75 after Austin, it's over. Yeah. And currently, the gap is, I think, 50... Yeah, like, 59 points. Yeah, 59 <laughs> points. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, this is looking like a really uphill battle, because what's left, you have Circuit of the Americas, you have Mexico, you have Interlagos, and you have Abu Dhabi, and I think out of those four tracks... Um, Vettel needs to pretty much win out. I think uh, Dre would have agreed with you on this like three rounds ago, and it still yeah. hasn't happened. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, at, like, if you go back to the episode after Monza heading into Singapore, we pretty much said, yeah, Vettel pretty much has to win out to win the championship, and he has yet to win a race. He's actually failed to finish a couple of Grands Prix in a row. Which is not good. That's not how you do this. That's not how. No, 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 no. He he finished in Mal like he finished in Malaysia, but then what had happened afterwards? See what had happened was yeah, it was. <laughs> Ollie, Matt's Verstappen made it pretty dang close. Daniel Ricciardo finished third. Valtteri Bottas had a pretty productive day at the office, finishing fourth. You know, ten and a half seconds behind of your teammate isn't. It's not awful it's not great but it's not awful either it hasn't it's better performance than what he's been putting in Kimmy racking and finished fifth let's talk about Espan Ocon finishing sixth because he could have had a shot at the podium here y'all um he had a great start was up to third at one point um and he ties the re he ties Matt Chilton's record of most consecutive finishes to open a Formula One career he can break the record in Austin it's not just that. Um, Will Buxton tweeted that his finishing record extends back to 2014. Yep. He hasn't he... DNF'd in a single-seater race since the second race at Nuremberg in 2014. Right. That what? includes most of that's most of his title-winning year in European F3 and the entirety of his GP3 series season, where he, I think came up with like 47 second place finishes that year yeah 
<laughs> yeah, for knowing European Formula Two, I get—I mean Formula Three. I could just say yes, and probably it's true because I know, like, in a thirty-race season, he at least a third of the races he finished second. Yep. Um. Once again, he uh, qualified fifth, got a great start. Um. Kept Sergio Perez behind him for the entire race, and um. Yeah, Esteban Ocon is really good. I could have told you all this but you know it's it's really great seeing him achieve his results and you know with with uh with them and with him and Sergio Perez doing really well and kind of pushing each other yes it's been tumultuous at times I know you don't have to tell me about this but it's been but it's been great to see them haul in so many points same for Haas who have just had a couple of just awful races and then they get both cars in their points in eighth and ninth led by Kevin Magnuson in eighth and Roman Grosjean in ninth what in the world is with Haas lately? Oh, I I don't know what is up with Haas. Like somehow they decided. I I think like <laughs> oh god, they decided to turn things like they know Austin's coming and they know that they have to be good for Austin. Yeah, because that's that's home turf for them, obviously. So, um. That was great to see them back in things. I'll tell you what, this midfield battle for fifth in the Constructors' Championship, it is astounding because at some points you think maybe Williams are going to get an advantage and then Torrasso sneaks in there and then there's Renault and Haas are popping up. Um, it's just 24 points that separates Williams in fifth from Renault in eighth. Um, that could that could change dramatically over these next four rounds. Um depending on how Williams comes along in these last four races, and depending on how Toro Rosso comes along with their new driver lineup. Oh my gosh, that's a wonderful segue to talk about. Um, talk about some silly season stuff that happened over the weekend. Jolian yeah. Palmer is gone. Carlos Sainz is going to Renault. Danny Kafiat is back. Um, who's driving the other Toro Rosso if it's not Pierre Gasly? Can, can we just add that this time Julian Palmer didn't find out via Autosport? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in case you didn't hear, over the weekend, Julian Palmer announced this was going to be his last race at Renault. Soon afterwards, it was confirmed that Carlos Sainz had been transferred over to Renault Sport. Um, a few round races earlier than had previously been expected. Uh, with signs back at Renault, Danny Kvyat now has a seat, and Pierre Gasly would be driving alongside Danny Kvyat, except for the fact that um, his next race is in August 20, is uh, in a couple weeks' time at Circuit of the Americas. But it's not. It's at Suzuka Circuit. Well, wait, he can't be at two places at once, so... Who's gonna be driving? Who's gonna be driving where? Um, Honda seemed very intent on having Pierre Gasly finish out his maiden season in Super Formula to at least give him a shot at winning the title. Why not, right? You know, he's been there for the long haul and he's on a hot streak right now. Why not finish out the job, especially when he's gonna be a big draw and he has two races of experience at the circuit already? Um, of course, uh, if Jasley decides to race in Super Formula on next weekend, that is going to leave Toro Rosso in a bit of a bind. <sighs> Zoe, 
Um, who in the wide, wide world of sports is going to be driving for Toro Rosso next weekend? Well, the two that so far we've definitely not driving are Robert Kubica and Alex Rossi. Because whenever a seat possibility comes up in F1 now, we mention Alex Rossi. That's true. That's true. You know, that Napa sponsorship that's going to pay for his Toro Rosso seat. Just slap some, just slap some yellow and blue on that thing. No how. In case y'all haven't heard, um, here are some of the names that have been linked to this, um, to this seat here recently. Um, Signs could be swapped out for Julian Palmer in a one-off deal, or they can pull up Sebastian Buemi, former Formula E champion, former World Endurance champion, who's still contracted Red Bull and has a super license. Or they can bring in Renault reserve driver Sergei Sorotkin. Or they can do something completely out of left field, like bring in, let's say, newly crowned IndyCar champion Joseph Newgarden, who has enough points for a super license. Although this would really, really be beneath him, let's be real. Just a tad. Yeah. Or I've heard every name mentioned from Takuma Sato, 40-year-old Takuma Sato, getting a one-off return at, in, at a Circuit of the Americas. Robert Wickens has been brought up. He has Red Bull ties. Um, um, King, what would be the most intriguing option, and what do you likely see Toro Rosso doing with this? Oh, God, like, to me, the most likely option is also the most intriguing option. I really want to see Sergei Sorotkin in a Formula 1 car. (laughs) Like, I still remember all the... There was a bit of controversy, like, I don't know how long ago, when Sauber signed him as a developmental driver. (laughs) Right, with the goal of having him be in a car and in 2014 back when he was still a teenager now obviously years have passed he's kind of proven his merit in formula two um so he's he's actually at the point now where he's starting to run the risk of uh missing out on a formula one drive in t- three years after the fact where it seemed like he was a sure thing to get an f1 seat <sighs> it's it's gonna be fascinating i honestly i would uh i'll tell you what I know I'm going to come under fire for here, but you got to put in Blemmy. I mean, he's <laughs> he's the best available option, and he's obviously looked a lot better since the last time he's raced in Formula 1, so even if it was just a one-off, he could bring in some value. Um, bring in some value, especially for just a one-off. He that absolutely, is true. He absolutely could get some points for the team. But if I was Renault, would you allow that to happen? Because you don't want a, you know, uh, Drew Bledsoe, Tom Brady situation where you have your, you know, where you have your formerly E former champion and in a, in a one-off Formula One ride. And next thing you know, some other, a Formula One team might be interested in him and taking away from Edam's Renault in Formula E. That is true, but I kind of feel like that's the risk you gotta take, especially if you want to maximize your performance and hold on to sits in the Constructors' Championship, which is hanging by a thread with every race that Toro Rosso does not finish. Shoutouts to Carlos Sainz and his 
first lap retirement in his final race with Toro Rosso. <sighs> Go kick some ass at Renault, buddy. We we miss having a moppy haired Spaniard kicking ass at Renault. It's been a while. It's mm. been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. They, they they just need to change the color scheme a wee bit. Just just a little bit. Throw a little bit more blue on there. Because I'm pretty sure there's like pictures of little Carlos with Fernando at Renault <laughs> with Carlos and like a, a Renault top. Oh, goodness. Um, the 2017 Suzuka Grand Prix at Japan. Um, Dre gave it a 4 out of 10. I think this seems about fair, and I've only yeah. watched the highlights. Does that seem fair to y'all? Yeah, it's it's completely fair. Yeah. I mean, kind of the only other sort of interesting bits were, like, in... Nico deciding to go to Sky Sports. Oh, right? yeah, that's right. Nico was back. Our reigning, our reigning FIA Formula One World Drivers Champion has returned home. Yeah, in case you missed it, Nico Rosberg came back to the booth at Sky Sports F1 and apparently did outstanding work as we kind of, uh, as we kind of expected with the with a man of the caliber of Nico Rosberg, who is super analytical and fun to listen to. Um, y'all? Unfortunately, some people weren't quite so happy about it. Yeah, because apparently he was a bit, you know, he was a bit green on, on Friday during the practice sessions. Well, shoot. How many times yeah. has he done this before? <laughs> Never. Yeah, you gotta give it some learning curve. It's like with Formula One. You can't just expect to learn it over time. Shoot, I've done commentary for sim racing events. My first commentary work was not that impressive. Yeah, everybody's not gonna be just step into the booth and be Tony Romo. Gah, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Romo could have seen that engine failure coming like five minutes before it happened. <laughs> Did y'all know that Sebastian Vettel is only 13 points ahead of Valtteri Bottas? Just wanted yes, to throw that out scary. there. it is scary. It is scary. The other interesting thing is we had Sato on the po um, doing the podium interviews. And he had something shiny on his finger that Lewis wanted to try on. <laughs> um, I really wish I would have been there to see Nico Rosberg and hear Nico Rosberg work his magic because I'm sure it was very well. I feel like I'm slacking so hard. I'm trying so hard to carry up this show and I'm just like, I maybe watch five minutes of this race. Oh, no. Well, well, to to refer to what Zoe was talking about during the podium interview, uh, Takuma Sato did the podium interview and on his on his hand, like a massive on his hand he had his indianapolis 500 champions ring this of course uh and... this intrigued lewis hamilton who earlier may or may <laughs> not have been quoted uh depending on how much you read into the validity of the sources that he was quoted from saying that yeah the indy 500 is easy and that's why fernando alonso was skipping monaco to do it and all of a sudden everybody was just like hmm now i want to see lewis hamilton try and get his own indianapolis 500 ring and so did the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, so did IndyCar. They were like, yeah, let's, let's see what you got, kiddo. Yeah, there, there was a wee series of tweets that, ha like, sort of happened where 
IndyCar sort of encouraged Lewis to come over, someone responded, imagine turning in one direction only and calling it a race. Not really a race, just people driving around in a circle. To which IndyCar responded, Fernando seemed to have a different opinion on this. To which Fernando responded with a gif of people giving high fives. (laughs) And IndyCar had to respond with, miss you, Alonso. Complete with sad little phone gift. It's still they still won't play for that Smith Peterson seat. Just give it time. Yeah, like I'm I partially my heart, as much as like I really want an Alonzo Mania year, him just coming over for one entire season. Nando does barber. Um <laughs> Nando does barber. Nando does Long Beach. Um I think I can hear Dre yelling. <laughs> at this mention of Alonzo and IndyCar <laughs> oh goodness um we've covered all the basics it looks like signs to Renault is going to be a slam dunk what do we make of Danny Kvyat coming back knowing that this will probably be among because see here's the thing it, conventional wisdom says you've already taken him out of You've already demoted him twice, and it's pretty obvious that he's not going to be a part of the long-term plans of this team. But at the same time, it looks like he's pretty much locked down for a 2018 seat anyway. So it's just like, what do you, what do you do with this poor kid? Yeah, I think it's more of an issue where Red Bull has no one to plug into that seat beside Pierre. Like, bes- like. Pierre Gasly has no, like, teammates that he can have to put in that seat. Hey, now. Naoki Yamamoto, I'm sure he qualifies for a super license. Mm, if you ask... I don't know. I should consult Butson on this because it's Billy Butson. <laughs> Billy Butson is on the record multiple times as saying that Nobuhara Matsushita will not qualify for a super license. They'll probably give him a waiver, though. Um... And it, it uh, yeah, waivers don't exist, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, we there is also the possibility that Red Bull can just conveniently sign a new member to the junior team that just so happens to be qualified for a super license and happens to be of age to race here nowadays. Although that's not very likely because Red Bull haven't hired anybody from outside their academy since Sebastian Bourdais. Um, and that was like yeah. as a that was a very unique circumstance because it was like the youngest of days of their ju- junior program, and even before that, Vettel was technically not one of their drivers. Vettel was a BMW driver. Yep, things have changed, and now things have changed again. Red Bull have kind of painted themselves into a corner. This is what happens when you are spoiled for so much talent and you have such ridiculously high standards of them. <sighs> Now it's time to transition into the to the one key point that we learned over this past week uh, that may have a big impact on F1 in the United States. F1 has a new TV deal starting next year. It's going away from the NBC family of networks over to ESPN. Wow, what a bombshell that completely rocked the racing world. Um... A lot of expectations were high. Maybe we'd think we'd see popular ESPN personalities appear on pre-race shows and talk about Formula <laughs> One. Like maybe we'd get to hear Stephen A. Smith get to say, you know, I I respect uh, I respect Kimi Raikkonen. You know, I've been friends with him since we were racing back in Formula Renault 2000. 
However, however, Max, there is no way that you can have this man resign through the 2018 season. He's just not getting it done, Max. He's not getting it done. Um, or, or like some of us, uh, we hoped for the good old glory days of American F1 ESPN coverage. Speed World with Bob Versha and Derek Daly. And, God, that one pit reporter that was in the Senna documentary, whose name I can't recall, but who had a very soothing and confident voice, and I really liked him. Um, so we were... Was it Sam Posey? No, it wasn't Sam Posey. It was Joe What's-His-Face. Anyway... Um, <laughs> yeah, so we were all pretty excited when we heard about this deal in the morning, and then <sighs> details came out, and Zoe, from what, from the perspective of a non-American, um, how is this TV deal that we're getting next year? Is it, is it good? Is it bad? It sucks. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, what? I mean... As someone who only has to deal with their their coverage at certain occasions and is dreading the point of having to have it permanently, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> okay, so what's going on is that it's it's very, very highly likely. In fact, it's all but confirmed now that ESPN's uh, F1 coverage will pretty much consist of the world feed of the race. That's basically the basically the feed you get from sky sports f1 there's no pre-race there's no post-race coverage you get david croft and martin brundle none of the nbc personalities are carrying over actually now it's not been confirmed because fom technically has never had world feed commentators like the world feed only consists of the footage and the raw track audio so like in canada and tsn they they have they have you know the world feed coverage what the world feed coverage but they also buy their commentary from sky okay and i'm guessing this is what um they do with fox sports in australia as well yes okay so it's looking like we'll get we'll have acquired the commentary of david croft and martin brundle for better or for worse the good news is actually actually there's an interesting scenario in the press release it says the uh, commentate, the commentary has not been decided upon yet, and that FOM will decide who the commentators in the U.S. will be. Hmm. Here's the other thing, though. Um, one of the times when me and my mom were looking for a totally illegal stream, hmm. <laughs> we managed to find, um, for qualifying, it was DC, on a race that Channel 4 was showing as highlights. We managed to get the channel for commentary yes <laughs> okay so you might luck out yeah because back when uh back when it was you know split between the bbc and sky uh some races in some countries they decided to just pick up the bbc commentary gotcha the superior gotcha. commentary so so disregard everything i just said um, we might get Croft and Brundle. We might also get the Channel 4 commentary. We might also get some sort of weird mishmash where maybe we do get, like, Bob Varsha and somebody else from, like, maybe Townsend Bell or something like that. I don't even know. No, what you'll have is after every ad break, you'll get a different commentary team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, King, are there... 
Because I'm presuming you're not getting away from the ad breaks. I'm pretty sure you are stuck with ad breaks forever. See, that was the only thing. Like, if you're gutting this much... If you're gutting, like, all the pre-race stuff and all the post-race coverage of it, you know, you kind of think maybe this would be the perfect time to justify going to ad-free races, especially when you could kind of just, like, do, like... Uh, I mean, they technically could afford to go ad free because reportedly uh you know espn slash abc they're not paying formula one for this coverage like apparently in terms of the deal they don't pay any like broadcast fees for this and why would they when one third of the formula one ownership group basically is espn <laughs> um but we've uh, but out of this, we do have the possibility that for the first time we will actually get an over-the-top on-demand live streaming surface for Formula One coverage. I'm hoping at yes, least because a part of the reason why the broadcast rights were given over to ESPN for free it's because the broadcast rights did not include digital rights. This, I believe, was with NBC. Yeah, that was the big sticking point with NBC. They wanted exclusive rights to broadcast Formula One digitally in the United States. Which I believe led to a very um, a very interesting uh, two-word quote here uh, from one of the members of Formula One group regarding NBC's pop coverage. <laughs> Describing it as a popcorn fart. Oh my god. Um... In all seriousness, though, like, there are some really awesome people who put together Formula One on NBC Sports. Um, people like Will Butston and Jason Swales, who work on the Off the Grid series, which has been a part of their coverage for about three years plus now. Uh, people like Tony DeZeno and Luke Smith, who are basically the backbone of NBC Sports Motorsports talk. Um, people like statistician J Sean Kelly, whose work goes back to the days when formula one was on speed channel now fought sports one um steve matchett has been a terrific cop commentator of course david hobbs has spent a lifetime commentating in this business um lee diffie will stay at nbc sports because his talents are too good to keep on the sidelines lee diffie olympic commentator extraordinaire that's what you can look yeah, forward apparently, to apparently apparently uh lee kind of hinted that NBC is expanding their rugby coverage. So, like, NBC already had the entire seven series uh, broadcasted on their network of channels. Apparently, they're also expanding to include the Six Nations, and they're having Lee Diffie be lead commentator for that. Okay, I really hope he's coming to the Austin Test then. Because <laughs> we are playing Australia, and I will happily trash talk him in person, even though we're probably going to lose to them. Oh my Again. God. And hey, as long as there's a ref not involved, I don't. And care. hey, if Al Michaels needs a backup on Sunday nights, he's available. Yep. <laughs> Carrie Underwood just stomping around in her 500 ton shoes. Oh my God. Oh. America, America, going from Sunday night football to Sunday night rugby. This is a bit, this is this is a superior sport. That's true. I mean, we can't be wrong. At least you don't have all the all the political mumbo jumbo that the NFL brings with it for better or for worse. Oh goodness. No. France still manages to have its players go on strike. 
it doesn't matter the sport, it doesn't matter what it is, they will find a way to threaten strike. Mm. Yeah, that's France. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, Japan had a pretty good race, um, and stuff happened. Let's continue on with our, um, let's continue on with our Formula One news after this quick musical interview. got surprise formula one news apparently a formula one team owner has been arrested oh what is it vj malia yes it's vj oh malia. i fucking knew it <laughs> <laughs> VJ has basically not been hands-on involved with the team on a full-time basis for like five years. So I'm just like, uh, probably the sooner you can cut ties with him, the better. But also, eh, whatever. Yeah. Like, uh, like I still remember early in the season, like Force India had acquired trademarks to different names who, you know, eventually move away from being called Force India. Yeah, and it. I mean, there's also other issues like that might be at the behest of Vijay Malia because India's prime min, uh, prime minister Narendra Modi has made it a priority of his government to bring Vijay Malia to justice for the one billion pounds that he owes to state-owned banks after his airline collapsed like five years ago. Oh goodness, that's probably one of the third best. One of the third. That's, like, not even the worst outcome that can come out of an airplane collapse. Let us be perfectly clear. Yeah. Um, like, this is... Yeah, that's not good. Um, apparently, we have news that the 2021 Formula One regulations are going to be coming out soon. Um, how soon? Halloween soon. Um, from our friends at Auto Motor and Sport, um, famous... Uh, tabloidish german publication they have a little bit of the deets um regarding what's changing in 2021 um regarding your your decision-making processes the strategy group and the f1 commission will be no longer they're just gonna be gone they're done with it no more fake democracy in formula one as if there was any already um king is this a is this a good thing or a bad thing that we're not having a strategy group anymore. Ooh. It's it's a good thing. So basically, F1 could now have one singular vision in which way the directions could should go to. It isn't rules by committee anymore. Like it, it's not like 
to say rules by committee would like assume that like people were actually trying to like forward the good of the sport, not their own competitiveness. But like now, Ross Braun pretty much has full say on where the regulations should and could go. Well, then we previously have um, someone say that the teams have basically said, you need to control us because we will just spend money. Ah, uh, yeah, pretty much. Unless you tell us not to spend money. And, and like... tell all of us. <laughs> and besides the strategy group, the F1 commission was also slightly more problematic because not only did all the teams have votes in the F1 commission, but also key broadcasters, so Sky had a vote in the F1 commission, and also key uh, sponsors. So I think uh, Philip Morris still has their vote in the F1 commission. Because because where would Formula One be without its dirty tobacco money? Need to get those kids and impoverished nations to smoke. You need, yeah, because they're because they're not going to have the means to vape. Oh my god. Um, golly. Also, we. We're going to try and have a budget cap this year, ready for 2019. And the most difficult task will be to convince the teams that the budget cap enforcement is watertight, so no skirting around it. And every team will be assigned at least one overseer, and the costs are, be to, re are to be reduced gradually so that the big teams, i.e. Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, McLaren, can adapt slowly. Um, we've seen the idea of a budget cap floated around for at least I don't know this would be the 10th year since the 2010 originals budget cap was supposed to come in and almost destroyed the sport and caused the Formula 1 version of the split what's gonna happen this time uh if if there's no if there's no strategy group or F1 commission no one can say that we don't want a budget cap I see, I see. So that might actually be the way that it gets done. You uh, you take away the strategy uh, group, and you get the budget cap passed through. What could possibly go wrong? There's still the looming, always looming threat of one of the teams going AWOL and starting, a, like, trying to start a breakaway championship. And I'm... I'm saying one of those teams. I, I mean one specific one. We all know the red one, the one that's in Italy. Ah, uh, yes, Toro Rosso. <laughs> <laughs> no, the other one. The other Red's one. in their name. Yeah, I know Red's in their name. <laughs> that, was a, that was a slip up on my part. Yeah. Um, Ferrari have as much political heft as, say, the gout the Dallas Cowboys do in the NFL. They're basically the one team that is almost bigger than the sport. And if Ferrari doesn't want a budget cap, they may look at other options. Will it realistically happen? We won't know. Will they want will they eventually want to play nice? Who knows? All we know is that whenever these uh, whenever these things and again, this is only just rumor and speculation that we're seeing right now. Um, speculative entertainment. Maybe there's a word for that, but you know, there's a there's a very good uh, there's a very good chance that we could see like a major overhaul of the rules. Um, we also get the long-awaited engine rules overhaul for 2021. We have more standardized parts. They're not going to be as complex. 
Um, they'll make over a thousand horsepower. The cars might be more difficult to drive. Um, will this at least do the job of making the engines cheaper and bringing more people into bringing their own programs into the sport? Uh, if you put in a budget cap, yes. That sounds about fair. That does seem about fair. I mean, that was the plan with the current engine formula. It was designed. It was designed to also include a budget cap. Like pretty much, you're gonna end up with a situation where teams are gonna always spend as much money as they can, despite whatever the formula is. If there's a like a literal cap on that, then that will cause them to stop spending. Some teams will overspend the cap, but it will be a lot lower than if there was no cap at all. Right. And honestly, I like I like the V6 turbo engines. I like the electric motors that they have. Yeah, maybe you can make the argument that they could reduce the complexity of the parts. And, you know, having a lot of standardized parts here is going to help out with that a lot. Um, so we'll see what happens with this one as well honest to goodness it it could be uh it could be it could be good it could be really good like i i honestly like the product that we have right now um so maybe there is some hope that it kind of turns around a bit y'all yeah i'd say i'd say i'm glad that they're toning down the ambitiousness because originally one of the things that was on the table was uh there being uh basically doing what uh the wec did where you're allowed to have four-wheel drive if the if you know the front two wheels were electrically powered so you could yeah imagine f1 cars with four-wheel drive like modern f1 cars with four-wheel drive the acceleration would be insane goodness we're talking about some red bull at 2010 kind of bullshit here (laughs) yeah when they decided that the the amount of weight to add four-wheel drive plus like the performance benefits they were like plus the cost they were like it's not worth it it was really not worth yeah, it lotus tried to make and make a four-wheel drive f1 car i believe it was in the late 60s or early 70s somewhere around then and they were just like nah this ain't working dude yeah because downforce became a thing so they're like pretty much the 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 benefit the four-wheel drive is mitigated massively once you add in aerodynamic wings and like diffusers and stuff like that but like the benefit to like just pure acceleration is always going to be there goodness gracious yeah it's uh it's gonna be a it's gonna be it's gonna be uh interesting to see what comes out of these uh these new deals um we talk about um we talk about new venues for a Formula One race, and one of them that's coming up is the Netherlands. You don't need to uh, you don't need to be too avid of a Formula One fan to figure out why that is. In case you didn't know, Max Verstappen is a pretty big deal. Um, so big of a deal that he's helping to boost the ticket sales for the 2018 German Grand Prix, an event that has um, been infamous lately for some uh, paltry attendance lately yeah it's about to sell out yeah they're they're on the path to a sellout which is scary 
Right, so cue more narratives about how oh, the German fans really didn't appreciate fake racers like Sebastian Vettel and Nico Rosberg because that's all the excuses we hear about Germany's poor attendance when it's really the fact that the Texas are exorbitantly expensive as shit. But Holland's got the Holland's got that fuck you money, right? No, no. The reason why they're going to sell out so early because the Dutch fans are smart to know that uh, they're early bird discounts. So, yeah, they, they're getting their Verstappen fandom in early while the tickets are still, you know, affordable. Thrift. Um, so with that in mind, um, apparently Holland wants a Formula One race. There's only two permanent circuits that might be able to host it. Maybe they're not F1 suitable. Um, so what? Yeah. So what? We just have to take out the track itself and then rebuild it and then it might be suitable. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, we have, you know, the circuit in Assen, which is the cathedral to motorcycle racing. And I know Champ Car raced there in like the mid 2000s, like early mid 2000s. Uh, you could tell by seeing like full size open wheel cars on that track that it was built for motorcycles. And then you also have Zandvoort, which is in the same situation where it's narrow, small, not designed for modern Formula One cars. It was built for like Formula One cars from like the 1960s. Well, when I'd say 1960s, like early 1960s, like these under small underpowered cars. So we're they're in a situation where there's no suitable permanent venue for Formula One, and no one's willing to pay for it. And no one's willing to, you know, have the cost for a venue that's only going to host one event per year. Right. So, Zoe, what do we do when we don't have a permanent circuit in place? We take it to the streets. Yeah. Let's do it around Amsterdam. Upset all the cyclists. 50 points if you hit a cyclist. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Because you know if it would try to do it there, there would be some cyclist protest. Oh, God. It would be the new one from the, the naked guy running across, like, Pangaro <laughs> or Silverson. I can't remember which one. Oh, goodness. As if as if Formula One didn't need more streakers. Formula One absolutely needs more streakers, especially in some of the more boring rounds. Just You just you just got to take one for the that team. A, 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 a slightly drunk lost tourist. <laughs> or both. It's it's the Netherlands. Amsterdam is a is a city known for its vices, fairly or not unfairly. Um, I could absolutely see this happening. Um, so it's looking like um, we might have a street race in the in the Netherlands at some point. Because um, Sean Bratches of the Formula One Group has been there, and he says it might. They're beginning talks, at least. Um, it might happen in Amsterdam. It might happen in Rotterdam. Um, it'll be a big draw because if Max Verstappen is still around, and even still, you know, this is a this is a country in the heart of Formula One country that's uh, you know been begging for a race for a long, long time. Yeah, like, it would be nice to have another European round and calendar. We don't get many new European rounds nowadays. Last one was Valencia, and that's come and gone. Yeah, the less said about the Valencia street uh, circuit, the better, except for 2012. Are, are we not counting Azerbaijan? 
Uh, <laughs> that's that's another debate. Who who sanctions their football team? Uh, UEFA. There we go. Point taken. <laughs> the European. Also, they won Eurovision once. It's true. That is also true. See, that's that's two but I, but European I mean, sentiments. I mean, I mean Australia's Check been in Eurovision. Like I said. Yeah, that's because for some reason they're creepily obsessed and we went, okay, okay, you can come. And then we went, why are you still here? I mean, here? the United States I mean, is also creepily obsessed at this point. Yeah, I mean, Celine Dion won Eurovision in the 90s. Noted American Celine Dion. Well, she's Canadian. Vegas resident Celine Dion. <laughs> um... She won it for Switzerland, of all places. Right, and they don't have a Grand Prix either. Yep. Oh, oh no, <laughs> yeah. wait, they're going to have an E-Prix soon. It's going to be in Zurich. It's going to be lit. Whoop, whoop. All right. And also, um, while Formula One was having its thing at Suzuka, um, Formula Two and GP3 had a standalone event at Jerez. Sequito de Jerez, uh, former F1 winter testing venue of note, also the home of the Formula One Spanish of the MotoGP Spanish Grand Prix. We've got some new champions. Um, take a guess who they are. Yep, it's Charles Leclerc in Formula Two and George Russell in GP3. The overwhelming favorites took both titles. Y'all, let's yeah, uh, let's I mean... let's uh, just reflect on how good Charles Leclerc was this season which still has i believe a round to go um yeah and yas marina yep as the nypd comes to inform me <laughs> that charles Leclerc will probably be in formula one next year yeah charles took pole position for eight out of the ten rounds so far the only ones he didn't were at the hungar ring at monza got six in a row to start the season he has one two three four five six wins so far he has only finished one two three four five six races out of points he has a 60 point lead with just two races to go it probably arguably could have been more if not for the setback weekends at spa and monza that dre will happily tell you about <laughs> oh dear and but, also the uh, double retirement at Monaco. Yes. Y'all, like... I do have to mention that uh, I believe he holds the the pole record for most poles in a penultimate category championship. Like, I know it's at least Formula 1, I mean Formula 2 and uh, GP2. I'm not sure if it includes uh, International Formula 3000, but yeah, he holds a single season pole record for at least F2 and GP2. And y'all, he's he's doing this as a rookie. Like, we we have a rookie champion in Formula Two for the first time since Nico Hulkenberg in two thousand nine. Yes, it's been rebranded since then. It's basically the same cars. It's the same continuity. Yes. Um, that's a pretty big deal. And I think to myself, uh, if if he and Frederick Vasseur cannot turn Sauber around, who can? Who honestly can? No <laughs> because Charles Leclerc is a genuine once-in-a-lifetime talent, the likes that Sauber used to bring up um, through their word works like 
10, 15, 20 years ago, back in the days when Peter Sauber originally owned the team. I mean, my goodness, they gave Sebastian Vettel his first drive. They were originally building around Michael Schumacher, and then things happened. They brought up Kimi Raikkonen. They brought up Felipe Massa. Charles Leclerc seems like a driver that is going to be in that same vein, and it's pretty likely that he'll race for Sauber, much as we probably don't want him to, but I'm thinking he's your best available option. You're not going to get much better with somebody else. Yeah, there is literally no other driver better as an option for any Formula One team that is not currently, you know, in Formula One or outside of the Formula One ladder. They're like, within the ladder, Charles Leclerc is the number one guy. It's like being a Formula, it's like being an NFL team like the Cleveland Browns and the New York Jets. Sorry. Um, Often associated (laughs) with just like lowly standards of mediocrity and just never-ending despair. And on the one hand, you kind of don't want these incredibly talented college football quarterbacks to end up being the savior for their team, busting out. But at the same time, you're just like, who else are you? Who else is going to bring your team out of the absolute toilet? Ferrari. <sighs> Charles has got time. <laughs> He's got time. We know Ferrari doesn't invest in youth anymore. But I'm I'm saying if there's a salvation for Sauber, it might as well be Ferrari. Right. Like it it might not look so good to from the outside to be Ferrari's B team, but the technical and financial support is gonna help. Yeah, and I also look to things like the massive recruitment drive for personnel that Sauber have made in recent years. Bringing in Frederick Masur as your new team principal, that's a huge get. Um, I kind of feel like maybe there is some... They're putting the pieces in place together for rebuild. And Zoe, you can tell me if I'm if I'm just sounding crazy or not, but do you think that maybe a resurgence is coming for them? I don't know. It, it kind of depends on the car, really. Because obviously... A, the driver can only do so much if, even with like a poor car and a good driver that's so. absolutely fair um we'll know what happens whenever uh whenever we whenever the time comes and we have uh charles leclerc signing his first formula one deal likely with sauber um we also had george russell Winning the GP3 series title as a rookie. Another rookie champion in GP3, which is very easy to pull off. Uh, He has a 50-point lead over Jack Aitken, and he would pretty much win any tie-breaking scenario uh, if it came to it. And then I realized that you can't score 50 points in a GP3 series weekend. I forgot math. Yes, yes. He is champion. George Russell is a Mercedes Junior. This is only his fourth year in single-seaters. He was third in European F3. So this is another driver who seems like he is getting quicker as time goes on. He's only 19 years old. He's got the good support of one of the best Formula 1 teams around. He might be going up to Formula 2 next year, where he may very well likely be having to fighting one Nando Loris for the title. Oh, I saw apparently his dream scenario is... He wants to be teammates with Lando Norris. Oh, baby, it's happening. Sign me up. 
Absolutely. I don't care which team it is. If it's Prima, even better. <laughs> I want to see them just go to town for one year. Y'all, that would be that would be absolutely hype. Um, I think, think, yeah. Looking at it here, um, Russell is the one, two, three, four. There's only been one out of all eight GP3 Series champions. Only one has done it with more than a year of experience, and that would be that would be 2012 champion Jaguar Panasonic Racing lead ace Mitch Evans. The rest have wanted as rookies, including Esteban Gutierrez, who, let's face it, it was the first year of the category anyway, so that was kind of a layoff. Yeah. <sighs> Y'all, Formula One has got some incredible young talent up the pipeline. Will they be able to get the opportunities that they deserve to break in? Who knows? Yeah, because we already see we got George Russell. He's shaping up to be, it seems like Mercedes is shaping him to be Lewis Hamilton's successor. Like, you have Lando Norris, who probably looks like he's going to be the next great McLaren hope for the future. If they ever turn around, Esteban Ocon is putting work at the top level. Maybe Dean Stone, maybe, uh, excuse me, Pascal Verline. Get another shot, Formula One soon. If this, if net season doesn't work out, y'all, youth movement's great. Yep, yeah, we just, oh, I just want more cars to be competitive. God damn it! Gosh. All right. What is this thing about competitive cars? That is not allowed. That would be the perfect segue to talk about some Indy car. <laughs> And we got the news um, just over last week. Everything seemed to happen after we recorded the last episode. This seems to be a recurring trend, so stop me if you've heard this before. Um, Tony Kanaan is going to AJ Foyt, as we kind of expected. No yep. announcement on the second driver, though. May it, could it be uh, Amazing Race contestant Connor Daly? Or could it be Motorsport 101 guest alumnus, Carlos Munoz. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> My heart is aching. <laughs> oh, goodness. And we also got great news that Stefan Wilson is returning to IndyCar to drive the fifth Andretti Autosport entry in the, 101st, in the 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500. Stefan Wilson, by the way, basic, essentially gave up his chance to race this year to let Fernando Alonso drive in 2017. So after worries that maybe Andretti wouldn't hold up their end of the bargain, Stefan Wilson is back. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, partly because I did... I did not want to see the internet reaction if Stefan Wilson did not get a ride at the 500 next year. Uh, yeah, I mean, in a world where Tristan Gomendy, out of nowhere, can get an Indy 500 seat after 10 years away from that whole scene. With a, with a, racing for a team whose owner murdered his wife? Yeah, so you know, like maybe what, maybe like the sixth least scrupulous character in the IndyCar paddock in recent <laughs> years. Um, and we also got the news that Elio Castroneves, after twenty full seasons in competitive American open wheel racing, 
is stepping back his involvement. He will run the Indianapolis 500, but he will shift his focus to the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship with Acura Team Penske next year. Um, As Ron Miller predicted and shoved in everyone's face for the ta- for half a season. Yes. Oh you know, Robin Miller, Robin Miller controls the IndyCar landscape. He controls it from his uh, from his climate controlled Indianapolis headquarters. <laughs> when he's not fighting Kate Neal to Tony George, but also sucking up to him and in, in the hopes of getting a job, any job, any job whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, it does get entertaining when he's like sucking up to Ed Carpenter, Tony <laughs> George's stepson. That's because Ed Car. That's because Ed Carpenter is like a modern day Parnelli Jones. <laughs> is there any driver that he hasn't called the modern day Pernelli Jones is there any is there is no opportunity in which Robin Miller will not segue back to a driver from the 60s or 70s like we've kind of we've kind of gone over this before it's just some detail yeah. like it's it's become a, a comical caricature at this point yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, it was on some podcast and apparently boasted about how dr- um team owners were asking him about Ed Jones. <sighs> Lord. Um let's not make this about Robin Miller. Let's make this about Elio Castroneves. Um Things could have been a lot different um, if not for one defining moment at the end of the 1999 season. If you'll recall, Roger Penske was planning to rebuild his team around Jill DeFerrin and Greg Moore. Greg Moore lost his life in the match and in the 1999 season finale what is now Auto Club Speedway. And in a rush to try and get somebody, anybody to get in that second car in his place, they basically just scratched off all the parties related to Greg Moore and typed in Elio Castroneves, who was in his second year coming off of two seasons where he showed flashes of promise, but no consistency whatsoever. And once he landed the Penske drive, the light switch just flipped. He soon won his first race. Then he won his first two attempts at the Indianapolis 500 in 2001 and 2002. He's the only foreign-born driver to win three Indianapolis 500s. Dario Franchitti would, ju- no, Franchitti would soon join him. So that makes two. I caught myself before. <laughs> I caught myself. I caught myself in mid-slip here. So Elio Castroneves is the only Brazilian to win three Indianapolis four hundred five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> he won the Brickyard four hundred, folks. God. Um, and just above all else, being just a wonderful ambassador for the sport. Uh, just through his overly positive and infectious personality, um, his exuberant celebrations. He just has so much energy and so much vitality. It's hard not to like the guy. If yeah. you ever follow him, be wait- if you don't already follow him, remember to mute him on his birthday. <laughs> because, he- because he will retweet and thank everyone who wishes him a happy birthday. Oh my god. Graham Rahal has a meltdown over this every year. <laughs> he has a meltdown over this. <laughs> because he, if you if you go to his birthday, like, 
If you go to that day on his Twitter feed, that is all you will see. He retweets everyone wishing him happy birthday. Yeah. But, like, oh, God, I'm going to miss Elio. I'm going to miss Elio. Despite my feelings on the ending to the 2002 Indianapolis 500, I will miss Elio Castroneves. Y'all. Let me tell you. Y'all, let me, let me also bring up the fact that I, I think he is, honest to goodness, the best driver that never won a series title in his time in the sport. Um, 30, yeah. 30 career race victories to this point. Um, he retired with less than only three active drivers. He is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12th on the all-time list. He has more wins than Rick Mears and Johnny Rutherford. Um, he has more wins than Bob. And his former yep. mentor, Emerson. Yep, Vittipoli. he has more wins than Bobby Rahal. He has more wins than Danny Sullivan. Um, he's one of the few drivers that's won on both sides of the split. And, of course, for he's been at Penske goodness longer than anybody at this point. He was racing yep. for them. This was his 18th year with the team. Like that is that is staggering when you think about all the great drivers who you commonly associate with the Penske racing family, and this is the guy who's been around longer than anybody. Here's if you call a couple podcasts back, I talked about Scott Dixon's record in IndyCar. There has only been like three occasions since he joined Penske that he didn't finish in the top five of the championship. His first season with Penske, where he finished seventh. His, in, in 2000 and... Yeah, 2005, seven, yeah, six. it was 2005, 2007. Um, he did not fare well in 2011, but looking at his record from 2012 to 2017, starting at Elio's age 37 season, he was 4th, 2nd, 2nd, 5th, 3rd, and 4th. And this is increasingly a young man's game. And Elio Castroneves, even if he wasn't winning races all the time, he was still producing at a consistent enough clip that you could arguably say is still an elite driver, no matter how many races he was winning at any given time. And keep in mind, um, Ims is not a retirement party. I know we're kind of looking at this like it is, but y'all, Elio Castroneves is still good, and he's going to a series that has positive momentum behind it. Yeah, I think in the words of, well, in the fictionalized words of Paul Tracy, he's going to be, he's going to be the version of Scott Pruitt that Scott Pruitt wish he was. Oh my goodness, y'all! It's gonna be amazing. Um, is this a is this a good time to segue into actually seeing Elio race at Road Atlanta at Petit Le Mans? Oh my god! Um, so, um, Elio Castroneves, Simon Pagano, and Juan Pablo Montoya brought a super team. To Petit Le Mans. They took pole position, then they got nerfed off the track in the first hour and had to recover to finish third, despite some very questionable driving standards from the aforementioned Juan Montoya. Um, it was a it was a very entertaining race. This is the second time I've been there, and I love going to Road Atlanta. Not so much the walking, though. I feel like there are way too many hills for me and my friends to have to walk just to get to a good vantage point on the track. I mean, that just comes with the territory, but y'all, 
I could have just used a golf cart. Yeah, I was gonna say you you should invest in a golf cart. Get a get a golf cart with truck nuts on it. <laughs> which is like one of the things that we genuinely saw the first year that we went last year. Just a oh just a God. golf cart with like these fake solid steel testicles hanging off the back of it. Like, <laughs> buddy, you were living the you were living the charm life. Um Yes, and it's Stream Speed Motorsports and Nismo took the final win of the season with the team of Ryan Dial, Scott Sharp, and Brendan Hartley, champion elect in WEC, all coming together to win the race for uh, the Nismo uh, Ligier DPI project, which, if you recall, started off the season very poorly and a year where it looked like Cadillac was just going to do the season long beat him down. Um, of course, uh, because things happened and they eventually had the title wrapped up Wayne Taylor Racing dropped up dropped out within the first couple hours of the race with an engine failure Ooh, I mean that I hope this race isn't a complete shot for shot preview of next year's season because <laughs> Man, prototypes is gonna be so competitive next year. I I don't like. I don't even know how to put this, but Team Penske showed that pretty much if there's anything wrong next year, it's gonna be the car. Like you can't blame the drivers or the organiz like the team organization because they put this pro they put this project together quick. Yeah, and um, it's it's Penske, and they have the full resources of what is essentially Honda behind them. And remember, the last time they tried American sports car racing, they were getting overall victories in a prototype subclass. That's how good they yeah. were. If you remember the days of the Porsche RX Spider, everybody wanted them to go to Le Mans, but Le Mans was not having them take overall wins out off of Audi in the LMP1 class. And I can kind of respect well, that. Mm. I, I like basic like I finally remember those days of the ALMS and basically they weren't going to win overall at Le Mans. That was kind of one of the reasons they didn't want to go because the the tracks where they won at were like Lime Rock Park, Mid Ohio, you know, various street circuits. These were not high speed venues. They they knew their strengths and they always played to them. That that is fair, I suppose. I just think about like, man, what if we, what if we got a chance to see Penske with all the preparations and all the effort that they put behind it actually take an honest crack at Le Mans with a Porsche RS Spider? That would have been terrific. But hey, if um, if Gerard Nouveau realizes that he's kind of messed up, um, maybe it could happen. <laughs> this might be a good time to tell you that Peugeot decided, nah, we don't want any of LMP1. Is that bad? I kind of feel like this is bad. I I think it's bad for for the WEC because it's one less manufacturer that could you know join their ranks. That is very very true. You're basically having to rely on privateers at this point, which throwbacks to 2005, I guess. But in 2005, you also had a lot of customer teams committed to it, and you don't know what you're going to get next year. So let's get back to talking about Petit Le Mans. There were a lot of competitive teams. GT Le Mans was, of course, ridiculously competitive. BMW won the race. Corvette Racing won the championship. Um, I do also want to shout out to Christina Nielsen and Scuderia Corsa, two-time champions. 
So Christina Nielsen is the first woman to win back-to-back titles in a major sports car racing championship. And props to her and to Alessandra Alessandra Balzan on that accomplishment as well. Also, we got to see the final race for the prototype challenge cars. For better or for worse, they were an entertaining pro-am category and got a lot of good young drivers exposure in some pretty fast prototype cars. Even if some of them were a little bit over their head. Can't really say yeah. can't really say that for James French and Patricio Award, who almost had a perfect season. <laughs> God, they are they are just tremendous. I I enjoyed my time at, at uh, Road Atlanta, um, and if you want to watch, if you would like to watch the entire race unfold, it's available on IMSA's YouTube channel and IMSA.com. Yep, and in other slightly tangential sports car news uh honda will be entering a factory nsx in the fia gt world cup at macau later this year no word yet on a driver it's going to be a one car entry so who knows who we could see in that nsx Ooh, maybe it's jensen button although jensen button is still being linked to that that last remaining seed at penske team acura Oh, he's just the the Honda employee that every Honda team wants. He is he is almost like a British Takuma Sato. <laughs> uh, Zoe, what do but, you make of this but imagine race? Jensen and Haley win the one. Oh my God! Imagine the commercials <laughs> they would create. Oh my God! Wonderful. That's great. Oh, man. That Syrenims is going to be so good, y'all. Um, definitely go watch it. You should watch this race. You should watch IMSA next season. I know. I say it all the time. You absolutely should. Um, what else have we... What else have we glaringly missed over? Oh, goodness. Um, so, stuff happened at Sonoma Raceway. Uh, in case you missed it, Northern California is on fire, and, you know, that's very, very bad... It got to Sonoma Raceway. I got to the hillsides around there. That's not good. Yeah, like, uh, entire neighborhoods gone. It's almost like... (laughs) They've opened up their um, part of their track, I think the camping area, to people who are needing somewhere to stay. So they have. Yeah. Uh, apparently we're having also they're Cal- reassured everyone their, their sheep yeah are the safe. sheep are fine like this is scary when you consider that there's there were fires breaking out on both the northern and southern ends of California like oh this ain't good <sighs> this ain't good um, but you know the important thing is that you know for the most part people are alright um, as far as Sonoma Raceway goes which is kind of you know which is kind of a small thing in the grand scheme of things. You know, nothing is structurally damaged, and it should be able to host racing for... It should continue to host racing as it should, although obviously, you know, we are still thinking about everybody that's in northern southern California who's been affected by these fires because that's obviously something that can deeply affect people's lives. Even if you just lose your home just like that, and that's not fun. Um, neither is, neither is having a heat stroke after a race. Oh, God, no. Um, 
Martin Truex Jr. advances to the round of 12 at the latest race at Charlotte. The last fall race at Charlotte before it turns into a road course event, by the way. I'm still really on the fence about this. Um, <laughs> about the road course race. But we're not talking about this. We're talking about the fact that Kyle Busch actually uh, passed out after the race from a heat stroke. And he wasn't... And carbon monoxide poisoning yeah carbon monoxide poisoning is not good it's forced drivers to retire from their livelihoods that's not great he wasn't the only driver who was having heat related issues matt de benedetto also needed ivs after the race was over <sighs> don't ever say that listen for all the flaws that nascar has and there are a lot uh this, they're still doing an, they're like a 500-mile endurance race every weekend by themselves. Like, don't tell me these guys yeah. don't work hard, because they're, they're tough as shit, y'all. Yeah, yeah they're, they're wheeling it 30, 36 weekends a year. Golly. And for, and for some of them, 36 weekends a year literally means weekends, like where they spend, not only are they doing a 500-mile race, they're doing probably like a 250 on the Saturday. And they're also, like sometimes Kyle Busch himself, he's doing probably 150 in the trucks, 250 in the Xfinity series, and 400 in the NASCARs. I mean, in the, in the Cup series. And, like... For them to be physically fit enough to do that much racing over the course of a race weekend is insane, and obviously we've seen the consequences. Yeah, it it sort of reminds me there was a race back at Martinsville Speedway in 1998. Ricky Rudd had just won the race, and he pretty much just passed out as soon as he got out of the car and into victory lane. Like, he was in bad shape. And that was like the most uh, that was like the most striking image I've ever had of a driver being so taken out of it after a race that it was just like, yo, what the heck? Yeah, apparently what had happened in Kyle Busch's case this past weekend, uh, after hitting the wall on lap 137, uh, pretty much it kind of created a gap in between the car. Like, it created a part where the, the fumes couldn't escape the car. So pretty much the the carbon monoxide levels were going up in the car and not being vented out like they normally are. Jesus. And I I also remember um, Rick Mast was not a particularly noteworthy driver, but he was the most recent driver that I can recall that was actually forced to retire due to carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, yeah, that's not good. No. Golly. Um, so we had a lot that happened this weekend. Um, we managed to cram all of it into about an hour and a half, which is neat. Yep. And one last feel-good story before we head off. Yay! This, this Sunday in the state of Alabama... For the Alabama 500, it will be Dale Earnhardt Jr. Day, signed off by the governor of Alabama. Yes! <laughs> oh my god. Like, that's, it's surreal, it's very surreal seeing Dale Earnhardt Jr. driving his last race at Talladega. 
um, probably the most prolific restrictor plate racer of this era. Yeah. Um, that's going to be, that's going to be, I'm, I'm going to miss him a lot. I'm also prepared for when he eventually gets taken out in the first of three big ones to the disappointment <laughs> of the crowd. Oh, I hope that doesn't happen, but also I'm prepared for it. Uh, what else is happening this weekend? We have DTM and Formula 3 finales. Hecky Kovalainen and Ronnie Kitarelli are going to drive Super GT cars at the DTM finale just for a little demo run, just to give the Germans a little bit of taste of what they can expect when Class 1 comes into power, y'all. <laughs> because DTM completely collapses. <laughs> and also, Rio Hirokawa and Nick Cassidy won the Super GT race in Thailand for Tom, so now they have the championship lead. And the final round is going to be at Twin Ring Mategi on November the 12th on Nismo TV. You should definitely, definitely watch it. Um, I also want to go ahead and mention that Road, Atl- Road America's, uh, Road America's uh, the kink is not going to be flat out, according to Spencer Pickett. Um, these 2018 IndyCar regulations are going to be nuts. Yeah. Having so much power and so less downforce that that the kink is not flat out anymore oh my goodness can it be 2018 yet can it be 2018 i'm ready for st pete y'all. zoe can it be 2018 yet please absolutely the police are telling me it can't the police are telling me it can't um actually just but we'll back in indycar this is actually related to the Mazda Road to Indy, but oh. um, new, new member of it, uh, Zoe Eidenholm, has started up a karting enrichment and mentorship program. She's 16 and she's already starting to help the next generation. Nice. Very nice. And that is a, that is a good feel-good feel story, um, especially... You know, in a day and age where we're, where women in motorsport are still so terribly underserved, because we live in the in these stupid chauvinistic boys club that we refuse to admit mm-hmm. is such a thing, um, it's great to see that. It really, really is awesome. And she's already um, been out mentoring one ten-year-old Carter, helping her. At the Street of Lancaster event in Lancaster, California. So she's already working on it. So, I mean, it is good that we're getting more and more. Like, obviously, you've got the Dare to be Different, which is more about getting girls in. But this is something to actually help them progress or give them support that they might not otherwise feel they can get easily. Which. That is really fantastic, and, you know, certainly we're here to support every bit of that whatsoever. Um, So that is, if we have, if we have nothing else, that is a very good place for us to wrap up. Yeah, I believe we do have nothing else. I'm pretty sure we got through everything. Yep. Unless you want to add in the the plans for Kota, when F1 goes to Kota and how they're doing the, the Oh yes, we have boxing style, IndyCar style driver introductions, which I'm all here for. Yes. 
some people, not so much. These people are not fun. Yeah, they were like, stop Americanizing our Formula One. Stop making Formula One interesting, damn it. Uh, it's like, how is our how is our dri- how is our pet reporter supposed to interview drivers? It's like, no, have you never watched like IndyCar? You get someone interviewing them behind the stage. You're getting someone interviewing them on the stage. You're getting someone interviewing them as they're getting off the stage. They don't watch IndyCar. They don't know how this works. Yeah, it's just it's just oh, 500 it's... laps of people driving around in circles. Just <laughs> ask them. And it's not like we have a certain guy doing a, a grid run before the race as well. Yeah. They would, they would, you know, enthusiastically point it out, like, oh, he has to run. Why, why can't he just walk? Sometimes in life you gotta walk, sometimes you gotta jog, and sometimes you gotta run. You have to channel your inner... Pernelli Jones. <laughs> Pernelli Jones. You gotta, you gotta channel your inner AJ Foyt and just slam a laptop. <laughs> Rake a few coins. And on that bombshell, I believe it's time to wrap things up, folks. Thank you for listening to another half-assedly put together episode of the Motorsport 101 podcast. <laughs> which you can support financially at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 to get access to this show and bike live on the motorsport 101 network where we're talking about motorcycles which are probably more fun this week let's be honest we're on youtube we are on facebook we are on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 um our personal twitters were at ryan eric king at rj o'connell at we zoe and at harrison 101 hd for the big man Dre, who will be back with us next week. So for Ryan King and Zoe Hamilton, I'm RJ O'Connell saying so long for this time and we'll catch you at the next episode of the Motorsport 101 podcast. Later, y'all. Bye. That's not the clap to sync us all up. Yeah, that's, that's not the clap. That was totally all the <laughs> All right. Now um, now we'll do the clap at three, two, one, clap. Everybody to... clap your hands. Oh my god, Lewis is gonna hate us so much. No, I guess we can do a we can do a different part of the cha cha slide. Yeah some reason, they're not cha-cha sliding over a Ferrari. <laughs> to the left. Take it back now, y'all. One hop this time. Right foot, stop. I think we should end the recording. Turn it out. <laughs>